Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Today is episode 100. We are celebrating 100 episodes of The Messy Studio. So before we get started, I want to remind everyone um, to check out our new merchandise store. Right now, if you go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and click on the shop, you can get $5 off on anything in the shop. All you have to do is use the coupon code EPISODE100. And that coupon code is going to be active until December 4th. So it's a really good opportunity to shop for the holidays. On today's show, we are talking about side hustles. For many artists, some form of outside employment is necessary to make a living, and their day jobs have little or nothing to do with their creative lives. But others have developed income streams that evolved naturally from their studio practice and lead to a more integrated approach to make a living. Today, we're focusing on some examples of this and ideas for you if you're interested in figuring out an art side hustle for yourself. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. Uh, Great topic, I think, because um, as, as you just said, Ross, there are ways to take skills and knowledge that you have right now as an artist and create some sort of side business with that. And that's what we're going to be talking about. As we were preparing for this episode, I I went online to try to find some statistics about how many artists actually make a living from art sales alone. And it was it turned out to be quite hard. There I couldn't find anything that really said that. The Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, produces some figures, but they they count things like people that are employed as art teachers or um, designers and things like that who make a, a regular paycheck. I did find one survey that was done in 2017. It was a fairly small sample of artists. There were only 1,500 people. But this survey found that three quarters of artists made $10,000 or less per year from their art, and close to half made no more than 5000 So pretty, not a pretty picture. <laughs> uh, I've also heard the figure, and I couldn't find any verification of this, but that only 4% of artists with an MFA, um, Master of Fine Arts, make a living by art sales alone. So this is all kind of bleak, and, and certainly there are many, many people who defy these statistics. But... Um, Overall, there a lot of people have to do something to sort of cobble things together, and some, of course, have a regular employment, uh, regular paycheck coming in from somewhere else. But a lot of artists um, rely on one or more side hustles um, instead of that paycheck job. And it, well, and I think that no matter what you're doing, I think it, it is harder for a lot of artists than it is for other people. Um, but in today's world, um, having multiple income streams is necessary. Uh, it's very rare to make a a living off of a single source of income, and uh, very few people ever become wealthy off of a single source of income or achieve like anything that they would consider to be success, you know, off of a single income stream. Most people need at least one other income stream and it's ideally should be something that you control. Um, so art is actually like a really good uh, thing for people because it's something that you do control in terms of your income. You control your your commitment level to it and you control 
uh, how you make money off of your art practice. Um, so it, it can be a very freeing thing to, to make money off of art and from a side hustle uh, and not have to worry about some other normal kind of job. Right. And, and as an artist, you have a lot of skills and knowledge, and that gives you a base uh, to think of ideas about these things. Um, you know, I, as you say, a lot of people are doing these some kind of side hustle. I, I Googled just to see what would come up. And the internet is full of ideas for you if there but these are things that would be unrelated to your art practice. And there's all kinds of things like um, taking surveys and um, selling things on eBay, online freelancing, driving Uber, you know about that one. And so it's not that these things are limited to people that have something like an art practice. But I think within that realm of side hustles, there are certain things that artists can do that use their their skills. And it's so much more satisfying, I think, when you're pulling something that you've developed um, and and figuring out some way to share that with other people, that's going to be helpful. And it just gives a more integrated feeling to your to your life and to your studio practice, I think. So to start with, it, it really involves considering what you have. What do you have that could be developed to produce income? I'm going to throw out a few ideas here, and then we're going to talk more in depth about a few people that have really made this work. Um, We've done more than one podcasting in the past about things like teaching and mentoring. And most of the artists that I know who have a side job, this is it. There's some form of teaching lots of advantages to this. It can be a really a very good income. And obviously, you set your own schedule, you're your own boss, and you have that satisfaction of sharing what you know. I think the difficulties with it are that you need to find a niche, you need to find something that you can share that's unique. And there's there's a place for more generalized workshops for sure. But I think the people that are really doing well with it have figured out something in terms of what they teach or where they teach, something that stands out because there are a million art workshops out there. (laughs) And not everybody's ready for this. Not everybody's ready to teach. And I think you have to be very honest with yourself about, about whether you're qualified, what do you have, what, what have you really become skillful at? But that's a big one for a lot of artists. And kind of going along with that, um, other ways of getting your knowledge out there, instructional videos, another thing a lot of people do. And these can be quite casual. They can be short. They can be small demos. Uh, Maybe you put some together in a package that you can sell. Or they can be longer. They can be much more involved. Um, Squeegee Press, Jerry and I have produced one that's very long. (laughs) It's very long and very complete. It's almost seven hours long, and it was a professional production. But you don't have to do that necessarily. You can can figure out your own way of making a video, and you can sell them as installments, or you can sell it as one thing. Um, And this, this also has a component of probably offering some of this content for free to get people interested, get them involved. So YouTube as a way to, to get the word out. And then once you have people that are interested, you can start to sell it as a package. And this can, again, be pretty lucrative because it's one of those things where you 
you do the work once, you know, you do it, you get it done, and then you market it, as opposed to a lot of these other things that are more ongoing. I put some thought into services that artists can offer other artists. That's another topic. And this is a lot of different things. I mean, some people uh, need help with technical stuff. A lot of artists are not very tech savvy. And maybe you could offer your services to help them with their website or photography, making a video for someone else, um, that kind of thing, uh, data entry, anything that artists don't really want to do, but they have to do. <laughs> and you can, you can find that, that niche. There's a lot of things, packing and shipping. And it even occurred to me that somebody, an artist who lives in a, an area with a lot of other artists, could really find ways to offer themselves as a studio assistant, more or less, but not necessarily somebody that goes to work for the other artist all the time. I think a lot of working artists don't want that kind of commitment to someone else. But most artists go through times when they're working on a project and they just need some help. Maybe they have a bunch of canvases to stretch or things to pack and ship or uh, making an inventory, that kind of thing. And I mean, I think that would be fabulous to be able to hire somebody to just come in and, uh, as needed, you know, and uh, do a, a particular job and help out. There's also a lot of people that are not um, that are not artists who require these services. Um, so if you have the ability to, say, build websites or take really good photos or uh, do some kind of design work, um, there's a lot of businesses that really need help in those areas. And you, you can a lot of times do a lot of this stuff uh, remotely. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there, there's a website out there called Fiverr, which is a really good way to sell your services if you're able to do some kind of graphic design or something. Hmm. Um, people go on there and have people design logos or do work on their website or things like that. Um, and the idea is basically that it's like $5 jobs, but there's a lot of people who sell services for more than $5 or use it as a, a kind of an entry point to gain customers who will then rebuy their services at an increased rate. So that $5 rate would be just kind of an entry level oh, rate see. for people. Oh, that's why it's called Fiverr. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way to uh, to connect with, with customers outside of your geographical area. Yeah. And- I think it would be a great thing if it could be, you know, if there was anything that was special for artists, you know, because I don't know. I just, I would love to be able to just call somebody up and say, hey, you know, I really, I have all these panels to gesso. Could you come over and give me a hand, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I don't know. It's just sort of something to think about and maybe develop, uh, especially for artists that, are in a community of artists and could offer that to, to other people in their city or whatever. Um, right. A lot of times artists have, have a, a, a core group of people that they interact with locally. Um, you might be able to find some kind of meetup group or something for you locally or some kind of event uh, where artists are, are going to some kind of uh, studio art crawl or something mm -hmm. like that. And that might be a good way to network as well. Oh yeah. And if you knew of a building that was having an art crawl, all those, every one of those artists needs help with something, you know, <laughs> and might be willing to to pay you to help them set things up or, you know, mat things or whatever. So, 
I think it's a huge area. Um, as you say, some things that could be done remotely, some things that would be very hands-on that that you know how to do because you are an artist and that you could offer to other people. So uh, another category I thought of was writing. And if you like to write, a lot of artists do. And this comes through in blogging, articles, things like that. The whole field of self-publishing is pretty wide open right now print-on-demand books. Um, Amazon has great resources for this. And if you can write something that other artists want to read and that you enjoy producing, I think that's great. And different ideas for that might be, um, say, a memoir. If you've had a long art career, uh, Joanne Matera has published a memoir that I read that was very interesting. Um, and she's had a long career. Other people, you know, you could think about yourself. What have you What have you done in your life that you could offer to other people and would be interesting to other artists? And just do a short memoir, and people will, will buy it and read it, I think, because we're all kind of curious about how other artists are, how they got there, you know, what their, what their journey's about, um, or instructional type of writing. And that's, you know, a lot of artists have produced books that have to do with their particular medium. And techniques maybe that they've developed. Um, my own life, of course, the Cold Wax Medium book has been an enormous success, I have to say modestly. <laughs> I mean, we're in our third printing now. We've sold over 8,000 copies of this book. And it was obviously something that was the right book at the right time. People were becoming interested in this medium. And it just... It was interesting to write. I learned a lot. Jerry and I worked together on it, of course, and we learned from each other. And we learned a lot about publishing and marketing and everything, doing the book. Right. And doing all of that stuff yourself is is a it's a huge hurdle. It's a huge learning curve. It is. Um, but the payoff at the end is <laughs> that you get to keep all the money you, that you made off of the sales of that book. You're not paying a publisher right. a huge portion of your sales. Um, you know what what art what most um, people who go through a major publisher make off of their books is is not a whole lot of money. And uh, self-publishing is easier than it's ever been. Um, and it's it's more uh, reputable than it's ever been. And uh, you're able to, to keep all of your income from that book. Right. And what we did to start up, because we were a startup company, it was the first project we had done, was to run a crowdfunding campaign and offer perks like signed book or um, a workshop. And that was very successful. And then we had enough money to publish the book right off without having to go into debt for that. So it, it really worked out well. And it just keeps going. It just keeps expanding. More and more people find out about it. And it's another one of those projects that, yeah, it's a big thing to do it. But once you do it, you can you can just step back and enjoy what happens afterwards. And it's, it's really, it's really very rewarding. Um, there are other print on demand things that you can do, but they don't tend to be as lucrative and things like note cards and calendars. And a lot of artists do those as a very much of a sideline, something they might sell at a open studio or something. And typically, those are not going to be hugely lucrative, but, you know, maybe worthwhile as a kind of a sideline thing. 
I, I think that for any of these things, something that you need to consider um, is that the best way to make money um, is to provide value to people. So the question you need to ask yourself is, how can I provide the most value to the most number of people? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, something like a, a postcard or a calendar um, is not going to be a huge amount of value for people. And uh, the number of people you're going to sell to is going to be fairly limited because of the amount of competition in that area. Right. It's almost, um, it's almost more. But something like an instructional book where, where, it's, where it's a niche that you know a lot about. Um, you know, it's, it's a tremendous amount of value to provide to people, uh, and you can provide it to a lot more people because there's less competition in that niche. Right. And I think the, the postcard calendar note card thing is more self-promotion than actual income. And your point is very true. What I'm going to put work into this and what, how much value am I providing and what is the return on it? And sometimes you don't know, of course, you, you, the, all, a lot of these things are risky to undertake because you don't know in the beginning if it's going to work out. So um, I guess you have to be willing to take some risks anyway. <laughs> Another income stream that some people use is renting. Um, it's really, it's a, it's a side gig that a lot of people do that have, it has nothing to do with art, say Airbnb or um, VRBO. But I think for artists, it could be quite interesting because you meet people from everywhere. If it's something that you're able to do with your current house or other real estate, and maybe you set it up so it's a, especially attractive to artists in some way, and you meet people and network. Uh, you can also think about if it works for you to rent out your studio, and that could be good income if you can rent it out to people doing workshops or say have a critique group or something like that. So those are kind of bigger projects. <laughs> well, and that's another area where it's a niche um, where you, you can work with people directly. Um, you're not, there's not a whole lot of studio space for rent. There may be a lot of other Airbnbs for rent in your area. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's an area where you can provide maybe more value to people than you would be, uh, renting out, say, a spare room in your house. So, yes, if you maybe you live in a location where people want to come because it's an interesting city or location and you have both a studio and a spare room, you're all set, you know, if you're willing to rent out your studio to attract artists to work there. And I know there are places like this. Um, and there are places where people, say, have a maybe a, a trailer on their property or a tiny house and they have a studio space with it and you set up like a mini art retreat I guess basically and people will come and that's another interesting idea I think kind of long term more more of an investment for sure uh, another one that I want to mention of course is podcasting <laughs> since this is our 100th episode and we we actually came to this topic because we were thinking about our 100th episode and we thought, well, what is a, po what is a podcast uh, beyond spreading information, which we love to do, but it can also be lucrative or money-making at least. I don't think the Messy Studio has quite achieved that yet, but it's something we're definitely working on. And I think if you've been paying attention the last few episodes, we do mention our, our store, um, our donations, et cetera. 
And these are efforts to monetize what is an ongoing project that takes a lot of time and takes a lot of effort. And so most people who have a successful podcast do at some point start advertising and start thinking of ways to have it bring in some income. Yeah, and and we've had uh, we we have to be very thankful to the people who have donated so far. Um, we're we're kind of at the point where we're covering our costs on this, where we're not really sinking money into it, um, but we're we're not making money off of it either. Um, and uh, and we are very thankful to everyone who donates, even small amounts. Um, they add up, so so people can can donate on. Uh, on the messy studio podcast.com um, as little as $1 a month if they want to. And if everybody does that, then that's actually quite a bit of money that, that we can use to buy new equipment mm-hmm. and uh, pay for our hosting and all of that stuff. And it is, um, you know, it is but right now it's not a huge money maker, but it is something that we enjoy doing. So um, it's uh, it's nice to be able to, to have some of those costs covered. Right. And that's, you know, Really not why we started it, but we do hope it moves in that direction. Right. And it, I think it might be interesting to do a whole podcast on podcasts sometime <laughs> because there's a lot to it. We've learned a lot and we've really enjoyed working together. And it, like some of these other side hustles for artists, it just came about so naturally, so organically that, you know, you and I wanted to do something, do a project together and, you know, what would work. And well, and we were already having these conversations over coffee on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. And the idea was kind of just like, let's have a conversation over coffee and record it. You know, <laughs> And uh, it, it ended up becoming this whole thing. Yeah, so. it started that simply and it didn't take much equipment to get started. Just a couple of voice recorders and microphones. So podcasting is something that can be developed as a business for sure. And um, it's something you enjoy. And there are a number of art podcasts out there uh, of different types. Again, they can be casual. They can be more developed. So I kind of wanted to end the end the podcast today with some more in-depth look at people who produce products for other artists. As artists, we kind of know what other artists want and need, right? Especially in our particular way of working and just to quickly mention, Squeegee Press has tools that we developed because of specific need for squeegees and brayers that cold wax people working in cold wax use a lot. And after using products that were out there, we started to get a little critical and say, well, this is a nice brayer, but it's not quite soft enough, or this is a great squeegee, but we need other sizes. And that and Jerry really did a lot of work on this to develop ways that we can obtain these from manufacturers and offer them to people. So that is an example of a kind of line of products that came out of just knowing a, knowing there was a need for this thing. And um, so I, I contacted a couple of other people that I knew had, this had happened for them as well. And they are, um, well, the first one is Paula Rowland. And she makes made a product called the hot box which is a heated palette for encaustic painting and especially for encaustic monotype and basically it heats the encaustic wax pigments and paints and then they uh, you can create a monotype on the plate and then transfer it to a paper she's a santa fe artist and so i wrote to her and i said well tell me about this you know how did this come about and she 
uh, replied, and this is a quote, I started selling the hot box in the early 2000s after I'd been teaching in caustic monotype for a few years. It was never my intention to sell to the public. But, However, students naturally wanted to have their own equipment so they could continue working after the workshops. Its popularity grew organically, like so much in my life. And she said that she resisted at first, um, in part because she didn't really like the idea of selling things. But on the other hand, it was necessary because it was part of her teaching practice. And if the students couldn't continue with doing what she was teaching them after they left, then, you know, kind of, it just was needed. And so eventually this hot box became very popular. And Paula also expanded on the ways that it could be used creatively. But she felt a little bit conflicted when people knew about her, Paula Rowland, because of her product. Um, like a lot of artists, she would rather be known for her art. And I think this is a bit of a pitfall that people face when they really go very deeply into having um, a side hustle that, you know, is a product that's going to become associated with, with your name. But um, she... She feels really good about it. She says she um, learned a tremendous amount from doing it. And she said, I am fortunate that every job I ever had was related to art and therefore benefited my work in some way, especially with connections, techniques, travel, friendships. Um, however, another way of supporting your art is to take jobs where at the end of the day you have no responsibilities and no worries that interfere with your creative output. Uh, she says, there were many times in my career that I thought I should just drive a bus. <laughs> so that's the other side of all of this stuff. It is a big commitment. And, um, you know, they're, as much as we're interested in talking about side hustles, they are not for everybody because sometimes you do want to just walk away from it. Any of this stuff that you develop yourself does become a big part of your life. The other person that I talked to in some depth was Elizabeth Showalkert. And she makes handmade brushes uh, for painters, and she also has some other enterprises, and she lives in California. And she says, um, I always wanted to be able to make my creative work my full-time job. In order to make this happen, I had to develop multiple income streams. Currently, that consists of teaching workshops, selling art, and my brushes and other products through my online retail store. My brush making and artwork are very interconnected, so I consider my online business to be part of my art practice. And as with any business, that means there has to be time spent on other things besides just creating. And she also comments that e-commerce really does create a lot of opportunity for creatives to develop multiple income streams. And I think that's a good point. You know, we we have this amazing ability to reach reach out from the internet. So her other businesses include consulting services to mostly creative people that are interested in starting an online business, but they're not sure how to go about it. So Elizabeth is your go-to person if you need help with that. And she has three online stores, uh, two Etsy stores and a Shopify store. And she had further advice, which is quite interesting, I think, to kind of wrap up here. She said, my retail and brand marketing background made it a bit easier for me to create these businesses, as I understand fundamentally what is required to develop and grow a profitable, profitable retail business. 
In this age of so much of everything being available online, differentiation is the key. Um, I personally had to look that up. <laughs> you probably know what it means, Ross. But uh, I, I, what I got from it was what makes your product or service unique or what is the special niche that you serve? Uh, what makes you special? Um, and you must also ensure that there is a demand for what you're selling and that there's enough margin to ensure sustainability. So some sort of uh, surveying or marketing research um, is helpful. And in addition, it's not enough to just have a great store and product. You must also find ways to drive traffic to your store. So having a well thought out and effective social media strategy is key. And she finishes with, I do truly believe there's a lot of opportunity for creatives to develop meaningful economic income streams. Fortunately, there are a lot of really good tools and resources available that can make that happen. So I think she's got such a positive and um, energetic attitude towards this. And she is producing these, her brushes, I mean, they are exquisite. And so they're works of art in themselves, and people treasure them. And she makes some other tools as well. So she found a, a, a unique and wonderful product, but she's also doing these other things as well that interest her. So I kind of lost count of how many income streams that is, but it's all working. And I think she's a great example. Well, and I think it's important to realize that that nothing that you do outside of your art um, is, that uh, that you find success in will make your art less successful. Um, if you raise people's awareness, raise your personal profile, and people know who you are, if they're typing your name into Google, they're going to find your art too. Uh, and I and I think that it's important to realize that these things all feed into each other, and it's it's nothing we do happens in a vacuum. Um, you know, everything affects everything else. Yeah. And uh, and I I think that if you if you manage to find success in making tools or um, in providing some service for artists and you become really well known for that. Um, I think it's important to, uh, to take, uh, a, a certain amount of credit for that and to pat yourself on the back and say, you know, I, I managed to find success in this because I really helped people and people really value what I've done. for them. Yeah. That's kind of the bottom line. Yeah. And I think that that's like a really important thing to remember is, is that everything that you do, um, in your side hustles, the way you become successful is by helping other people. Yeah. And if if you do find success um, that eclipses your art in some way, um, it uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't view that in a in a negative light. It should be something that you're very proud of. Yeah, that's a that's a really positive, good point. And there's one other thing I I forgot to mention when I was talking about Paula Rowland with the hot box. Was that for her, what was interesting was developing this product. And she she didn't really enjoy all the making of it, the marketing, the shipping, et cetera. Uh, and it took a lot away from her. But what she ended up doing was um, partnering or, I guess, selling the product to another company. And now she doesn't do that hands-on stuff anymore. So it's still, you know, her product, but it is marketed by a different company. So sometimes if you do make a product that's very successful, somebody else may want to acquire that and take over the nitty gritty that you don't really like doing. As creatives, for, for most of us, 
kind of developing something is really where our wheelhouse is. Um, it, producing and marketing and uh, sustainable growth and, and all of the kind of running of a business, those are different skill sets. Um, and uh, for a lot of, of creative types, it's that coming up with an idea, bringing it into reality, um, and beginning those those starting stages, having that vision for what this thing can do for people, that's much more in the wheelhouse of a creative type uh, than running the business ongoing. So it may be something where it's it's very much to your advantage to uh, build something and then pass it along to somebody else who can who can really grow it sustainably. Yeah. Yeah, we don't I mean, you are in control, so you don't have to be stuck with something that becomes a burden and you don't want to keep doing it. And if it's a, if it is a successful product, somebody else may very well be interested in taking over for you and doing that part of it. This we're better set up for it, you know. Um so, I hope that this has been interesting and inspirational maybe if you're if you've been sitting around wondering like oh how how else can i make some money <laughs> understanding that it's a commitment and time but so many of these things in the long run really pay off and really enable you to make more art and focus more on your artwork well, that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Please make sure to check out squeegeepress.com, as well as www.rebeccacroll.com, and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.